Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, executive producer, Jonathan Strickland. Yep, I'm with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. It's time for another classic episode of Tech Stuff. This one originally aired on August 20th, 2012, back in the good old days, I guess. Anyway, this particular episode is called Tech Stuff Hacks Into Music, and Chris and I go into some interesting discussions about technology and music, and this was one of those cases where it was really, really handy to have Chris on. Chris is always a joy, and I loved having a podcast with him, but uh, as you may or may not know, he has uh, performed as a professional musician many times, even went on tour with big name music groups and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, check out this classic episode. We're going to talk about musical hacks today. Oh, yes. So again, we're in our series of episodes about using technology to do stuff what it was not meant to do. What it was not meant uh, to do. Or, or to, to, to manipulate it, change it, tweak it in some way so that it behaves in a new and exciting way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to talk about that sort of culture that and the music culture and how those two overlap. Okay. Because uh, it turns out that a lot of people who have liked to hack physical as well as virtual types of stuff are also really into the music. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, yeah, a lot of the... Uh, we, we've kind of touched on this in the past. Uh, we we recorded an, an episode in early 2011 about uh, chiptunes. Yes, chiptunes being uh, music that you generate from those old 8-bit... Uh, machines and earlier, but things like uh, like the Commodore 64 and yeah. stuff. You take the 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 chips that were able to generate tones and you repurpose them so that you program new sorts of music that those devices were never necessarily meant to produce back in the day. But it does produce that very very distinctive sound that we associate with the early days of computing and video games. Yep, yep. wasn't that, Wasn't that the episode where I embarrassed myself because I'd prepped by uh, listening to bags of potato chips. You can't listen to just one. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I did learn that much. But no, a, a lot of the people, um, we didn't really get into the technology behind that as much because, uh, I mean, we did talk about how they, they use, um, video games in, in that case as electronic instruments, but we, we didn't really talk as much about Building about what you need to do to make that happen. Mm. Um, one of the people that uh, that uh, Jonathan sort of, if you'll pardon the pun, tuned me into um, hacked an Atari twenty six hundred. Yes, he made the Atari twenty six hundred. Yes, Citrix. Yeah, he's an Australian he fellow. Yeah, he's a chip tune artist from Australia, and he took an Atari twenty six hundred. Uh, he took some various electronics meant to uh, manipulate the the waveform of a sound once it's been produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he created some customized software to be able to create music using this Atari 2600. And it's not it's not creating music completely improvisationally. There's some stuff that has to be pre-recorded and uh, you know predetermined. Because he could not actually just produce any tone he wanted at any time he wanted. Right now, he knows wh- how the uh, 
these initial machines, and we've talked about this too on a previous episode in which we were talking about the gaming hardware. Yeah. Um, those, those early machines like the Atari 2600 had a library of sounds built into the machine. It was on a chip. Hardwired. Hardwired into the chip. So, um, Citrix is familiar with the hardware. He knows what sounds are, are available to him on this machine. Right. The range of tones and volumes, et cetera. Yeah. And then different waveforms, the, the square wave, um, and the different, the, uh, different sounds that he can make. And so what he does is he uses a computer to write, uh, a background track. Basically using uh, uh, assembly code, right. um, which is a very low-level programming language. Um, and he's able to use, he knows what the sounds are, and he writes the software, and then he ends up burning a, a ROM to go into the cartridge slot on the Atari. So it's just like you were putting a video game. So like, let's say you wanted to play Pitfall, and you put that into the Atari 2600. Mm-hmm. By the way, Pitfall was an awesome game. Yes, uh, it was. It was a River Raid, another awesome game. But you put that into your Atari 2600, you turn it on, and then it goes. Well, in this case, he's he was creating the equivalent of a music cartridge that you yeah. put in there. And what would happen is it would play this predetermined track, which he could then manipulate with the other electronics that he had uh, built and he built it on a platform that resembles this huge clunky guitar. Right now, if you, if you're if you're familiar with something like uh, GarageBand or some of these other um, uh, basic music editing software mm-hmm. uh, programs, you're you're probably familiar with the idea of uh, them saying, "Okay, well, we've included a hundred clips." And it'll be something really simple, a uh, basic percussion track or maybe a, a bass line that you can use as a bass line to write a, a piece of music over. And so that's what he's including there. He'll write a basic, uh, um, if you will, something something to build on. And he'll turn on the Atari machine and it starts playing that bass track on which he can improvise playing additional notes. Right. Um, he uses, there's a, um, a joystick attached to this. Yes. Um, it looks very much like the third-party joysticks that you used. Actually, it may very well be. I don't recognize that particular joystick, but it's got a couple buttons on it. And he can use that to uh, switch between tracks on the on the cartridge. Yep. Um, and it's also got some effects pedals. He uh, he actually used... Um, I switched my notes here. Uh, he, all, he has an uh, equalizer pedal yep. uh, built in. And these are the, the stomp pedals, the foot pedals that, that a guitarist would use um, that but, you see them switch on the floor. Right, so instead of stomping on it, he's actually built these into the neck of the Guitari, Guitari 2600, so yes. he's using his hand to change the pedals as yeah. opposed to his foot. Yeah, there are three. There's an, a, an equalizer pedal, or EQ. There's a flanger and a, a digital delay pedal, mm-hmm. uh, which he uses with his hands, uh, in addition to having the joystick and the Atari 2600, which is at the uh, uh, where you would find the body of the guitar. Right. So... Uh, I say we listen to a short segment of uh, of Citrix playing his Guitari 2600. This is him playing at a live performance in Japan. And we're just going to give you a, a short little snippet to kind of let you understand what it sounds like. Uh, if your ears are sensitive, I recommend lowering the volume of your listening device now. Uh, I'm, I'm vamping a little bit so that you can do this because it is pretty loud. But mm-hmm. here is an example of his live performance in front of a crowd in Japan. Uh, 
uh, it's definitely some of the comments on his YouTube page are a little harsh. I, I agree that that's not necessarily everybody's style of music, but I do think that uh, it's very, very cool what he's done there. It's kind of a mix between electronica and industrial. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, it's, it really is. It's, it's got not... it's got a real crunchy kind of sound to it. There are other uh, approaches to this musical hacking that are similar to that. There's um, a, a great term called circuit bending, mm-hmm. which really seems to be prevalent in the UK more than in the United States. But it's the idea of using low voltage musical electronics uh, that you would find in things ranging from basic video games to even electronics that you would find like uh, in, in a children's toy. Yes. Like speak and spell. Yeah. And, uh, oh. and then you bend Circuit bending means you, you are actually short-circuiting the device and you're producing new sounds that the device was never meant to create. Yeah, a lot of people who do circuit bending will go to um, uh, places that uh, offer, like thrift stores, Yeah, where you'll find a lot of old toys. Yeah. And they'll go through and, and find, and you can get that stuff for cheap at, at the thrift stores. Um, or uh, they'll go to yard sales, stuff like that. And a lot of cases they'll be... Uh, you know, not uh, either either not functioning quite right, or you know, people will give it to you for a couple bucks. Yeah, and it's easy for them to uh, they'll they'll get several of them. And in, in fact, I've seen uh, Speak and Spell is one of the most popular, I think. Yeah, uh, or at least the ones I've seen most frequently mentioned. And um, they will either uh, you know they'll short circuit something or will uh, short circuit a couple boards together. Yeah, they rewire they some rewire stuff. stuff. So it actually involves physically rewiring electronics. So there's yeah. often like a soldering iron is, is one of the basic tools in the toolkit for yeah. someone who yeah. wants to do this. Uh, it was kind of a, a, a trend that was, uh, well, at least the, the whole circuit bender trend is, is attributed to a fellow named Paul Norris, mm-hmm. who, uh, who found, uh, he actually used a speak and, and spell. And apparently, According to the information I read from circuitbenders.co.uk, uh, it was, it was, quote, a chance accident with an old speak and spell machine and a soldering iron. So I just, hey, you got a soldering iron on my speak and spell. Hey, you got speak and spell on my solder. Say. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's this interesting music that can be created from these electronics. And, and in fact, the circuit benders website has a few different tracks that you can listen to. Um, so, Again, these two different approaches, it's trying to achieve that similar outcome using these electronics that were, uh, that had sound incorporated in them from the beginning, but in order to make music, you are, you're actually making it do something it wasn't intended to do. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, They Might Be Giants did a re-recording of their incredible cover, uh, Istanbul. Yes. Which is in fact a cover. Uh, They Might Be Giants made that famous back uh, in their Flood album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, a, a fantastic cover. One of their most popular songs when they play live. I've seen They Might Be Giants play live many, many times. I'm a huge fan. Well, they did a, a, a they covered it again. They did a new version of it where it mm-hmm. was more of an electronica version. Yeah. And they use a speak and spell in that, in that uh, version. If you listen to it, you can hear the different noises. Um, and uh, it's really creative, a fantastic version. And uh, I'm sure I'll link to that. I, I've already linked to the video once on the Tech Stuff Facebook page, but 
I won't hesitate to do it again because I love the band that much. Well, they're they're kind of funny too in a way because um, if you know anything about the band, they started out as uh, you know just the the two of them, John yeah. and John. Yeah, John and John. Um, right. And then they added some Dan's. Yes, they did a whole Mart- band of Dan's. Yeah, and then eventually one of the Dan's left, and Marty came on. But uh, yeah, when they when they first started, they were they used a lot of uh, electronic instruments and, and loops and things, um, and then they if you will, sort of went unplugged. They started using uh, more guitars and, and live drums rather than, or acoustic drums rather than digital electronic drums. Right. And, you know, stuff, and that was sort of a shock for those of us who were you know, fans used, before yeah, that. used to it when it was just the two guys up on stage yeah. and then suddenly there were three other guys up there. Yeah, but if you, if you follow them, you've known uh, for the last few years they've started experimenting with little gadgets and gizmos and stuff and throwing things in. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun to, they, uh, to they watch. They also did a, uh, they did a cover of uh, Chumbawamba's Tub Thumping. Yes, they did. For the AV Club. And oh, that yeah. that is phenomenal. What a wonderful, wonderful video. <laughs> but they used, they used uh, devices like that as well. You know, they they create some electronic music on, live in a in a big group of people who mm-hmm. are all shouting the lyrics along, and uh, a joyous video. Absolutely yes. love it. Um, uh, were were we? Uh, yeah, we okay. can move on. Moving on. Um, actually, uh, sort of a uh, hybrid instrument sort of came to me um, mm-hmm. when I was looking at the uh, the guitar. Before even, when, when Jonathan showed me that, he actually showed me before we had this idea yeah. uh, for the podcast. I was just like, look at this thing. And I was, fo- yeah. and I was uh, sort of fooling around with it, and I ran into um, an instrument created by a uh, very, well, a reasonably famous ha- hacker, uh, Jerry Ellsworth. Uh-huh. Um, she's very ha- uh, popular in the hacking community, and um, she's also part of Valve Software. Oh. Oh, yeah, uh, which yeah. Uh, uh, gaming community knows very well. Um, uh, Citrix has done stuff with other machines, uh, not just the Atari. He's used uh, an Amiga and uh, Game Boy, but he's also used the Commodore 64. And uh, as an interesting tie-in, um, Jerry Ellsworth used a Commodore 64 to make a, uh, a bass guitar. But unlike what Citrix did, she actually used the neck and strings from the bass and uses the Commodore 64 to um, interpret the the strings. Wow. You know, basically used it as the, the pickup for the bass. Now, as most of you know, Chris and I do our research separately. So this is all new to me, and my mind has just been blown. Yeah. Now, now if you uh, if you don't know anything about how an electric guitar works, and a bass is a, you know, electric bass is a bass guitar yep um they they use the strings of a guitar but uh you know if you've ever been around one that's not plugged in the the sounds it makes are pretty quiet mm-hmm. um you know the the mechanics of the strings are pretty much the same as you'd see in an acoustic guitar but what an electric guitar uses along the body are those those little uh sometimes they're silver sometimes they're darker uh you'll see those little um uh, Things that run uh, exactly, or not always exactly, but perpendicular to the way the strings move. Um, so they they are on the body of the guitar. Sometimes there'll be one. Sometimes there'll be two or three. Um, sometimes I've seen I, I have friends who are musicians who hack their own guitars and will change out. These are called pickups. And yeah. what these do is they basically interpret the sounds of uh, they they turn the the acoustic vibrations into uh, electronic electric. Symbols, signals, signals. It's a different, different words. Symbols. I did say symbols. 
Um, I have a little percussive memory there. Go that's ahead. all right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, they turn them into uh, electric signals, which travel along the cable and into... Really, now they could be plugged directly into a computer, yeah. but you know, traditionally they're plugged into an amplifier, right. and that's how you can manipulate the the signals. Well, uh, Jerry Ellsworth has uh, employed the use of a Commodore sixty four, has done some hacking on the device itself to allow her to to use the Commodore sixty four as a effectively as the pickup for this electric bass, and um, she. That means she can use this to play, uh, you know, basically any bass guitarist could pick this device up and play a song on it, tradi- you know, in the traditional fashion uh-huh. and have it turn out as uh, an 8-bit sound. She can use um, uh, the device to play 8-bit sounds or, or something a little bit closer to the traditional electric bass sound. Um, some of the keys function um, as a keytar, um, you know, which is that... Uh, uh, depending on how you look at it, really cool or really cheesy. Uh, really g- cool. That's how I see it. Uh, where it was the the body of the device was uh, a keyboard, but there is a neck uh, where you can manipulate the sounds. And this is what, what we're talking about. There is a uh, a professionally engineered, uh, manufactured device where it is supposed to do all those things. Um, she sort of made her own uh, bass guitar um, hacked. Keytar device, and it's just very, very cool. There are videos uh, online. You actually, uh, it's probably too much to do a clip of, but I would certainly in- encourage you to uh, check out the videos of, of her playing this instrument because um, there's really a lot that that she did to make this work. Of course, then again, she's uh, known for building race car chassis when she was in her teens and twenties. So you figure she's probably pretty good at this. So I kind of hate her. Yeah. In a nice way. Actually, it's more envy than hate. Yeah. Let's say I envy her her ingenuity and skill. Oh, absolutely. Hey there, it's Jonathan from 2019 here to tell you we're going to get into some more discussion about music in just a second. But first, let's take a quick break. There's actually a, a, a contest that I or a competition that yes. I did not even know about until we started recording this. And my ignorance is something I'm kicking myself over because... Ignorance, not so much bliss. In 2009, uh, there was the first Guthman Musical Instrument Competition. Mm-hmm. All right. So this was a competition for designers to create musical instruments using technology in interesting ways. And they would... Uh, they would submit them to this competition, and the winner of the competition would win a certain amount of money. That first year, it was a ten thousand dollar, ten thousand dollars for all of the different prizes. And first place would take five thousand of that. Mm-hmm. So ten thousand dollars. So two thousand nine was when they first had it, and you know where it's located? Down the street. Down the frickin' street. Over and Georgia Tech. So Georgia we're Tech. We're in Atlanta. We're in Atlanta. We we are in Buckhead in Atlanta, which is so. When we say down the street, it's actually a little further than just down the street. It's not like a block or two away, but it's easily Almost accessible. Literally, though. Yeah, you. It's like it's like two train stops, and we are next to a train station. Yes. So anyway, it's really really accessible from where we are, and we have never been. We didn't even know it existed until today. And uh, the fact that this exists is now something that tells me I have to attend next year if I can, uh, if I if I've got that that day free. So 
I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the devices that were submitted that first year. Yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing is, is that we can actually play a little bit of the music that these devices generated. We'll have some clips as well. So the first one, the one that actually won the prize in 2009, was the Silent Drum, which was from a uh, an, an inventor named Jamie Oliver, but not the Naked Chef. Not that Jamie Oliver. Right. Different you know, it, Jamie Oliver. I have to say, though, that the name of the instrument sort of reminds me of a title of a Mystery Science Theater 3000 video. Oh, yeah? Silent the Drum? Silent Drum. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of what all people who live with a drummer wishes the drummer would own. <laughs> As a drummer? Yes. Yeah, okay, so uh, Silent Drum is, well, they in the on the site they actually talk about it being a uh, kind of like using shadow puppetry to create music. This really cool thing. All right, so you've got this this device where you've got uh, 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 light that is projected from the bottom of the device up to the top. Mm-hmm. The top has a membrane across it that acts as the what would be the drum head, but you're not striking it like a drum. Instead, you're pressing down on the membrane. You're creating a shadow. There's also a camera that detects where that shadow is. The camera sends signals to this processor that has... Uh, specialized software on it built by Oliver that interprets the shadow as a command to create a certain kind of sound. So depending on where in the membrane you touch, that's going to determine the sound that comes out. And the how deep you go changes the, the quality of the sound, uh, whether or not it's going to be a loud one versus a quiet one. And you can create this weird, weird soundscape this way. And uh, we can actually play a little bit of that. So here is a short clip of Oliver demonstrating the silent drum. And if you get a chance to look at the YouTube video, I highly recommend it because he adds a lot of um, theatricality to his performance. (laughs) So uh, here we go. That was what took home first prize that year. And there were many other uh, uh, submissions that you can look at. And I, I picked out a couple of others to talk about, uh, some that we can listen to. Not all of them. We don't have video or, or audio clips of all of them, but I can play some of the stuff. One of them is called The Guitar Bot, which took second place that year. Uh, it was developed by Eric Singer. And uh, it... Per- Forms guitar parts for the League of Electronic Musical Urban Robots. It's a robotic guitarist. And uh, he actually used four separate robots that each had a single string. Mm-hmm. All right. So imagine, think about like the four guitar necks side by side, but there's no, there's only one string on each one. And then Instead of there being frets all the way down the, the neck of the guitar, there's only one fret, but the fret can move up and down the length of the string. So it changes the pitch of the note that that string produces because the fret itself relocates to make the string the right length to create the pitch you want. And then at the base of each string, there's a little circular drum that has on it four picks mounted to the drum. So when the drum turns, the pick picks the the uh, string and you can turn the the wheel a very specific number of times to 
to do the the equivalent of finger picking, really. Uh, or you could turn it really quickly so that it's just playing faster than any human being with the possible exception of certain members of Van Halen could ever accomplish. <laughs> and so uh, it's it's really interesting to watch this work as well because you actually see the frets going up and down those strings to generate the tunes that uh, that you hear from it. And here is a short sample of the guitar bot. sort of reminds me if you've looked at it um uh the uh video company named Anna Music have you ever seen those no um, i have not they used to be advertised on uh, on tv a lot basically they do um uh 3d videos uh of music and it's it's all midi type you know it's all cgi but the uh um the music is when you look at the video it's created by these fantastic instruments things that are are essentially robotic in character, and uh, it, it, you know, they're playing these all sorts of otherworldly, you know, they're playing themselves basically. And uh, watching that just reminded me of one of the instruments uh, in there, or actually probably several of the instruments. So yeah, just kind of cool. Yeah, there there are so many that were submitted that year that I thought were really interesting to the, uh, the submitted to the competition. Uh, another one was. Uh, uh, well, third place went to David Wessel, who uh, was a, a, a Berkeley University professor. Mm-hmm. So a uh, guy who knows what he's doing. And he had an instrument that he introduced called the slabs. So, you know, a lot of laptops have those, have touchpads. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. He did, what he did was he took a bunch of those touchpads, more than 30, as I recall, mm-hmm. and made an array of touchpads. And each touchpad was capable of producing certain tones based upon where your finger was on that on that touchpad and how much pressure you were putting on the touchpad. Interesting. And all of that information was fed through a uh, device that was running uh, the Max slash MSP audio program. Mm-hmm. And he would be able to create music by moving his fingers along these different touchpads and could create a pretty... Uh, sophisticated range of sounds. I mean, there were essentially 96 channels for this device, so wow. lots of lots of options. And uh, and here's a little sample of uh, the professor playing along on slabs. Pretty cool. Chris is going to keep the beat, keep it strong in just a moment. But first, let's take another quick break. If you want something that sounds a little more um, primitive, 
uh, here's another. This this will be our final little sound clip. Okay. Uh, but uh, here's one that I wanted to talk about. Uh, a guy named Neil Feathers created a, a an instrument called Vibro Wheels. Wow. Yeah. So he he creates the sound by rotating these discs that have within it some vibrating pellets. So the vibrating pellets are making this certain noise, and then by rotating it, you're creating this kind of Doppler effect. Mm-hmm. And by rotating it at different speeds, you can actually alter the pitch. Uh, and then there are batteries that are supplying the power. And to create the music, you run it at different speeds, uh, and it uh, they're going past guitar pickups, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. that's what's ended up interpreting these vibrations and turning it into electric signals, <laughs> which then can go to an amplifier, which then can send an amplified signal to speakers, and then Sound we get to hear them. And I could talk all about the physical abilities of sound, but we've done that in previous podcasts where I'm not going to cover it. But anyway, so moving this around and around, you can make them go in and out of phase, these different rotating discs that have these vibrating pellets and batteries on them. Um, that's what creates the sound. And uh, they say that the 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 inspiration for this instrument came from a motorcycle engine. And I think you're going to understand what they meant when you hear this. Cycle. It's. Uh, could you imagine? Um, yeah, yeah. So that actually. <laughs> so that was a finalist for uh, that first competition over at Georgia Tech, which has gone on uh, every year since, including you know, there was one in 2012 as well. So uh, hopefully in 2013, because we're recording this in 2012. Hopefully in 2013, I'll be able to attend that one and see these things in person because. I'm finding it really fascinating. There was another one that I don't have a sound clip for, but the idea was just so wild to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Catherine Stumreich, she created this device that used lasers. So you knew I was going to love it anyway, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. But they used um, lasers that would detect the texture of various fabrics. So we're talking about the thread count or the thickness of that fabric or even wherever the seams are in that fabric. And through the various changes in that detect, uh, it would send signals that would create music. So you would actually feed fabric through this machine and the output would be music. You could compose a symphony, essentially, an electronic symphony, by weaving fabric and changing the pattern of the weave. That's unbelievable. Okay, so I think we're going to end this podcast right <laughs> here. One, one good pun just destroys the whole thing. Yeah, I want to. It just comes apart at the seams. I, 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 I'm hurting, and I need to seek medical attention. So danger uh, looms large. Oh man! All right, I'm going to sew this up right now, and we're going to finish this podcast. I think Jonathan's going to spindle me. There's that didn't even make sense. Spindle. I'm going to, you know what? Like the kind that goes on a... Never mind. Okay. You know what? After this, I'm going to tell you a yarn that has been in the back of my mind for ages. Sorry, I didn't 
that's a totally different thread. Sorry, guys. Um, I don't mean to needle Chris in this way. See, Tube can play at that game, Mr. Paulette. Nitwit. <laughs> okay, so we're wrapping this up, honestly. Um, the the realm of music and hacking is a rich one. Yes. There, there are incredible examples of ingenuity and musicality out there, some of which are higher on the ingenuity part and less on the musicality but there's some there's some incredible examples of people really putting their minds to new ways to create music and it's it it blows my mind uh, well, as, as someone who appreciates music but is still very much a novice as far as making music i find it amazing well it's one thing to uh to have something like pro tools to record uh, analog instruments or uh, uh, something like Sibelius to uh, write scores on your uh, on your computer. But um, it's kind of interesting to see how people are taking other things and making music out of it. I'm you know I'm thinking along the lines of people like uh, Ben Burt over at uh, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, making sound effects out of found objects and things like that. It's just uh, neat to see people uh, making things make music yeah. that you wouldn't ordinarily see. And there you have it, folks, another classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you have any suggestions for future topics or you want to hear more about the intersection between music and technology, send me a message. You can reach out on email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or pop on to our social media sites and let us know there. Uh, You can actually find links to those at our website, techstuffpodcast.com. You can uh, let me know if there's any particular topics you would like me to look into. I look forward to hearing from you. Also, on that website, you will find a link to our online store where every purchase you make goes to help the show, and we greatly appreciate it. And I will talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 